Dior Talks. I really want to celebrate the creativity of the women, but all the creativity. It's another way to give voice to the artists that I like. Only in this way you can move in the future and then you have a conversation with the new generation of women. I'm so excited to say that this episode of Dior Talks interviews one of the key names of the Italian feminist art movement, Bianca Pucciarelli, who goes under the male pseudonym of Tommaso Binga. Based in Rome and born in Salerno in 1931, Tommaso Binga is an Italian performer, multidisciplinary artist and professor who has been working for more than 50 years. Since the 70s, she has taken an interest in verbal visual writing and is one of the leading figures in visual poetry, with her art closely associated with activism and social issues. Her pivotal 1976 series, Scrittura Vivente, saw Tommaso use her own nude body silhouette to mimic the letters of the alphabet, a work that she reimagined by collaborating with Maria Grazia Curie for Dior's Winter 19 show in Paris, where she covered the walls of the show space with each letter spelling words from one of her poems. Tommaso is also a close friend of Maria Grazia Curie, who often speaks of her discovery of feminism during her youth in Rome, both through its political activism and its burgeoning art scene and its influence on her vision for Dior today. My name is Katie Hessel. I am an art historian and curator from London, and I run the Great Women Artists Instagram account. And today I am so excited to be at Galleria Mascarino in Rome today to find out all about Tommaso's career and her collaborations with Maria Grazia Chiuri. So first of all, Tommaso, congratulations on this brilliant exhibition. Um, I'd love to start off this conversation by asking you about your pseudonym, Tommaso Binga, as your real name is Bianca when did you decide to go by the name of this person and why did you want to? Well, I should start by saying that initially I was asked by a gallery owner from Caserta to do an exhibition because he had seen examples of artworks that I was giving as presents to friends and relatives. Works I was making from polystyrene, he really liked them, and he said, Bianca, you have to start doing exhibitions, which hadn't even occurred to me. In the first instance, I was confused to tell the truth. No, I can't do exhibitions. It's impossible. But then I started wondering whether he really just wanted to connect with my husband, who was an art critic, and that was why he was telling me that my artwork was wonderful, extraordinary, that nobody had done this before, and this was something totally new for the world. I had this doubt, this question in my mind. I had doubts anyway about making work as a critic's wife because starting from this point, 
Making exhibitions isn't easy. In the end, I thought it through and said okay, and I accepted. For me, it was like playing and having a show. It wasn't something I thought I could do long term. However, I wanted to start with a male name because I saw that women at that time were absolutely not taken into consideration. Female artists were totally excluded from the exhibitions. They were ignored by critics, even by gallery owners. So I thought, okay, let's start this adventure as a game and a challenge to men. They are masters of the world right now. We have no rights, and I wanted to put a male name to this status quo. And so when you did have this exhibition in 1971, I mean, what were people's reaction to the fact that you went under this male pseudonym of Tommaso Binga? Were they shocked? What did people say? I adopted the name because I was in love with the work of Marionetti, so I dedicated my pseudonym to him. My father had a large library, and he was a book collector, and he was always looking for old books. And in his library, I found these books by Marionetti, which I read and I was immediately fascinated by. When I first used the name, everyone smiled a little, thinking, it's beyond. She's like that. It was said with affection, I have to say, because they were my friends. Someone else, on the other hand, thought that I wanted to cheat, to hide under the male guise in order to make a career, which was not true. Instead, I wanted to challenge the world of men, who were the ones who led the world. They directed, and the women had no say in the matter, no voice. So, we got to work. I was making polystyrens. I made the whole exhibition mainly with polystyrens. However, not all of them had been mounted under the plexiglass because it was so expensive at the time. Each piece was almost like a little salary for us, so we couldn't. I couldn't show them all. There were also some very interesting pieces that had certainly been thrown away because I saw that that after a while, many were gone, and uh, I suppose someone had said, but these are just polystyrene things, and I never saw all those ones again. So then I phoned friends and relatives saying that I was doing this exhibition in Caserta. It was a night of trepidation because it was raining hard with dreadful winds and we left with six cars from Rome with all the relatives and friends and we drove to Caserta to do the first exhibition. And so, sort of, to go back to the beginning of, of your life, you were born in 1931 in Salerno in Italy. I mean, what was your upbringing like? Were there any feminist influences happening at the, at the time of your childhood, even? No, not in Salerno, I have to say. And I left Salerno when I was about mm, 18 or 20 years old. When I left, I came to Rome. Then in Rome, I met my husband, who I already knew from back home when we were kids. And then this idyllic thing started between the two of us. But I had been living in Rome for some time, so Salerno wasn't really an influence, and at the time, there were no feminist groups. Basically, I started to feel that feminism was a priority of my life in the 1970s. 
Later, there were obviously feminists in Salerno, but not when I was there, because I left early on. That's so interesting, you know, that you're thinking about this time in 1968 and women are starting to have these collective conversations with each other. I'm wondering at what moment, because obviously the 70s was this decade that really sparked so much feminist theory, interest, also globally, we have to remember as well. What was it in Italy specifically that really sparked the start of the feminist movement? I couldn't give you a precise moment. It was just a time when feminist groups were started everywhere. In Rome, I went to meetings of Beato Angelico, which was a wonderful group, made up of almost entirely female artists, which was also important because women artists were usually not really taken into consideration. But we know now that many things, many rights which we had to battle for, have now been achieved. Many women's rights, laws, have been achieved, and they have been achieved precisely because of this bursting force of women's action back then. If these groups had not existed, nothing would have happened. Yes, maybe, over time, everything would have happened because, of course, transformation always exists, but not with that impetus, with that, let's say, immediacy, because there really was an immediacy. I founded the Cantemacciale Lavatoio in 1974, and in fact, it was the reason I was not part of the group then. I had already started the gallery, and you know, it had cost us so much. We had to rebuild it, restore it, manage it, etc. Beato Angelico contributed a certain amount, but I just couldn't. Even if, in hindsight, I could also have paid a little. But we really didn't have the money. Then, however, we did an exchange. Because they came to me to do the performances, and I went to them. I always followed their progress. They were all friends of mine. Neda Guidi, above all, was a very dear friend of ours. She gave me many works of hers, and in turn, I gave her things. So we exchanged gifts, we exchanged works, which is no longer how things happen. So interesting that you'd use a space, I guess, that's a segregated place. And so you're really thinking about the outliers of society and the fact that women could even be categorized as an outliers of society is, I mean, absurd in 2020. But I mean, in the 1970s, I mean, it shows what determination you and the other female artists around you must have had. I mean, was it difficult? I mean, how, how was it kind of being accepted as an artist in the 70s at this time? The interesting thing was how in the 1970s, exhibitions of women artists, of only women artists, began. And among those who started this was Romana Loda. And now they want to make a commemorative exhibition with her work. She was one of the first that began to do exhibitions of women artists. But this wasn't embraced by all women at the time. For example, those who had already had their own path did not want to join the group of women who were, 
at that point, all unknown. But Romana Loda was the one who was willing to show these unknown artists. I must say that Romana had so much courage because the women's shows were not sold, but she continued doing women's shows for several years until she couldn't keep going anymore. And she retraced her steps I think in 1978, and started doing mixed exhibitions again, this time with a conspicuously low percentage of women. Then there was also another very important woman, Morella Bentevoglio. And here, there is an episode that is important to remember. At the 1978 Venice Biennale, there were only male artists. There was not a single woman's work on display. So, the feminist groups of northern Italy, I don't remember which province now, threatened to protest. The organizers got scared. The exhibition had already been installed, so they asked Bentevoglio to organize an exhibition of women to go up in September, which she did. I was in this exhibition, the first exhibition of women artists at the Venice Biennale, but coming slightly through the back door, of course. Um, Can you tell us about your alphabet, Scrittura Vivente, which is very well known across the world, how this work came about and the idea behind it? So I can say that Scrittura Vivente came from an idea of mine, which is that words have a body. Words communicate how gestures communicate, with the same voice, and therefore I wanted to make an alphabet with my body that mimicked the alphabet of letters. I really didn't know how to do it, so it was an opportunity. And again, with this work, I owed my break to Romana Loda, because she invited me to do an exhibition. I recently wrote a text that states this fact, that chance brings people together and transforms your life, right? You meet a person who talks to you about something or offers you the chance to do something you need to do that you hadn't thought of, and your life changes for the better, and sometimes for the worse too. I met the photographer Verita Monselle, who had also been invited to do a show by Romana and was making work on exactly the same theme that I wanted to. She had identified the line between the buttocks and the legs that formed a cross and that had done a series of very interesting, truly awe-inspiring works. They started with people praying before this line, a cross which was revealed little by little and became a woman's butt. I wanted to make a work with my naked body which would mimic the letters of the alphabet to adapt to the body of the word. The word has a body, and let's give it this body. La parola ha un corpo e diamoglielo questo corpo. E quindi incontrata la verita che faceva la fotografa, ho fatto con lui con lei questo lavoro. Se non l'avessi incontrata 
Per bene, sarebbe stato difficile andare dopo. So, when I met Verita, I made this work with her. If I hadn't met her, it would have been difficult for me to go to a photographer or find someone willing to make the work. Basically, I went to her and we studied the positions. She lived in Florence and I lived and worked in Rome. In the mornings, I taught and on Saturdays and Sundays, I went to Florence and within a year, we managed to develop this alphabet, which was a success from the start. At that time, we both carried these works of ours around. I, the alphabet, and she, a work called Eke Omo, with variants of the cross, which became a seat. And we were boycotted and made to remove our works. I must say, not in the South. In Barry, they accepted everything. But we went to Padua and they had us take our works away because they were obscene. But maybe some works really were. <laughs> and this idea of performance is obviously, you know, used around the world specifically with feminist art. Why do you think that women artists in particular are drawn to this idea of performance art. Do you think it's because performance art is something that hasn't, that was never really explored by male artists before it was something that wasn't such a traditional medium? It allowed you to actually create a hierarchy or a lack of hierarchy, I guess, of your own medium. Does that make sense? It's like being in control of a medium that hasn't had this patriarchal barrier. Actually, performance work is not only made by women. Obviously, male artists use it too. But the women's performances were made with the body because the woman's body has always been the erotic body, the body of love, the body of possession. In fact, a body that is a body of art, an autonomous body which expresses itself and Perhaps it is right that it should be so. So in a way, you're using your body as this tool of protest, in a way. And actually being a woman artist, you can be completely in control of what people see because it is your body. In a way, how have you used your body in your art to address these issues? I used it with my famous body alphabet, which was also, as I said previously, the body of the word and the body of our life. But it is not a body to be possessed, it is a body that speaks, that has forces, which has thoughts, which acts. I'm really intrigued as well because your alphabet is incredible, but I can imagine the actual physicality of creating that performance must have been quite difficult at times. I'd love to know about how you actually configured it and how you, the, the process behind creating these letters, because I can imagine some of them can be quite complicated. I have to say, it is quite difficult for me to get naked. It was not easy even if there was only one woman in front of me. So I had a bit of difficulty. Then, you know, one gets used to it. In fact, I did the first tests in a black leotard, and I still have an alphabet with the black leotard from the very start of the process. And then Verita and I picked the right ones together, and then later I did the nude ones. 
però ci sono state delle lettere per le quali mi è stato difficile la posizione. But there were some letters for which the position was difficult for me, so I had to go back several times to make two of them, the S and the F. Those two I just couldn't do because for the F I had to balance with one foot like this and one hand like this and I couldn't do it. I fell because I couldn't lean on anything. The photographer couldn't just instantly take the shot She had to focus, she had to record, so it took several attempts to get these two photos, but we finally did it. So for the Dior Winter 2019 uh, show, you collaborated with Maria Grazia-Curie in creating this incredible immersive set full of your um, alphabet work, the Scrittura Vivente from the 70s. I mean, how was that collaboration? How did it come about? It happened because a gallery owner had this opportunity to get in touch with... Mm, now, how did it happen? Because each one told me a different story, and now I don't know which one of the two is right. <laughs> she saw my paintings, and she wanted to work with a woman who had worked with the body. And she saw my paintings, and she liked them and invited me to collaborate. For me, it was a surprise. One of those things that falls from the sky, those connections which happen inexplicably, one of those wonderful things. And so we met. She came to my place to see the things I make. She liked them. And she said that she wanted to use my body alphabet. But Maria Grazia Cherry took my alphabet and then made one much larger human size, one meter sixty high, I think. The figures are made with polystyrene, so they have to have a thickness. But then the alphabet has become something else. And so I have given a different name to the new artwork made in this new way. I've called it Monumental Poetic Alphabet. I would like the images to be exhibited on pedestals at some point as if they were statues. They are made of polystyrene, but they are polystyrene statues. So it's an alphabet that has become monumental. And I changed the title. I have also, in the past, made repeats of works while only changing the title. If you change the title, the work changes. Here, the work has changed, and it has grown over time. Wow, I mean, I would have loved to have seen it. It's incredible. It was amazing. And then Maria Grazia Curie wanted to create an acrostic feminist poem with these monumental letters. That is, every word starting with a letter of the alphabet. But she didn't only mention the 20 letters, she cited all the letters of all the words. So when you set up this great display for the runway show, it's an otherworldly thing, I have to say. And with Maria Grazia Curie, you know, addressing feminism and the legacy of Italian feminism, particularly the women who you were surrounded by in the 70s, 
and is therefore kind of reincarnating all this work to the world stage. I guess, you know, with Dior, it comes with a global brand. I mean, how did it feel to see your work kind of put out there in the world in, you know, 40 years later? It was all installed in a wonderful way. Plus, there was also a mirror above that reflected everything. There was a doubling that amplified it even more. It was monumental, as I then titled it. And at the actual show, you gave performance. Then I also recited a poem. (laughs) I recited the poem in Italian, however, because even though I had had it translated into French by a friend of mine, and she did it very well, I don't know any language except Neapolitan and Italian, so I read it in Italian. But there were many who understood it, (laughs) because I saw that the audience was full of Italians that evening. And, um, you know, what's so interesting about your work and also what Maria Grazia is doing as well, it's, it's all to do with the body in a way. What's interesting is that there are all these bodies kind of walking through this gallery of, you know, bodies kind of blown up in this very kind of feminist, activistic way. I mean, what was it like kind of collaborating with her? And I guess, how do you see your work in relation to her work, uh, to, to Maria Grazia's work as well? There was certainly a spontaneous symbiosis because I found myself facing a world that was not mine, to be frank. I have never followed fashion. I have always been out of fashion. So I would, wouldn't say that I contested it. That's not the right word. But I like the things I see, things that interest me and so on so much so that my first works were the famous analog portraits, and mostly they were taken from fashion magazines that I liked. But in my own small way, I also make my own clothes. I put them together. I can only make clothes with old things, not with new things. I tried to make them with fabrics, with pieces of fabric, but no, they failed. Instead, they have to be I am very successful when I put on, for example, trousers or two pairs of trousers that make a wonderful dress from them. And I made lots of different ones when I still had good eyes and I also sewed by machine. Yeah, I also knew how to sew by machine, but not today because I can't even thread the needle. And so we're sitting in your exhibition here today in 2020, and I'm just wondering, you know, looking back and having seen your work in just the last few years kind of be kind of reincarnated to the world stage, um, how does it feel, how do you feel that feminist art is being accepted more in 2020? Do you think it's, do you think there's a different climate? Do you think people are more interested now or maybe accept it more now? Yes, they've begun to accept it, but there is never a market. There are 10% of women compared to the men, basically. If we see the exhibitions they still put on, group exhibitions, for example, 10% are women, always. So there is still no large market for women, at least not in Italy. I don't know about the rest of the world, but I think that's the case everywhere. And how do you think that, I think it's really interesting you're saying that, because I think there are so many 
young younger people, you know, advocating for women in the arts? And how do you think we can educate people and make them understand about this gap and this gender imbalance um, in the future? I have to say there is a big difference between the past and today. Today, there are no groups. I suppose maybe, I don't know about them, but there are no groups and there is no new movement. Because in the past, every now and then, there was a new movement. We would take the futurists, the surrealists, the dadists, conceptual art, and also writing, etc., etc. And now, there is no new movement. There is a bit of afterthought. There is a subjection, but the mass media have overwhelmed manual skills, and we still haven't worked out how to use them, in my opinion. I don't sense the presence of groups anymore. So I'm also studying how to help young people. I've done a project, but <laughs> I can't talk about it. How to help young so as this is the Dior Talks, we always ask our guests, who is your feminist hero? Actually, I don't know. There are many. All women are feminist heroines, I must say sincerely, because something has changed. But recently, the feminicides have increased, or at least have come out into the open, but certainly increased because man has lost power and he feels this loss must be paid for. Because unfortunately, he has not resigned himself to being equal. Thank you so much, Bianca. <laughs>